You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, episode 14, student-centered learning methods of best practice. In this episode, we discuss how student-centered best practices cater to the needs of all types of student learners. We talk about the difference between gamification and game-based learning in this week's question of the day. Then we go into social media and how it could be used by teachers and students both in and out of the classroom. And finally, we'll wrap up with this week's Tech Battle Royale. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Guys, it's going pretty good. How are you doing? Recovering from your uh, trip? I know you kind of got jet lagged a little bit there. Yeah, West Coast, back to East Coast, couple hour delayed flight. That was completely unnecessary. No no uh, plane problems or weather problems. It was a paperwork filing problem. And I imagine that airplane people fill out these types of paperwork all day, every day. Yeah. Well, they just tell you it's paperwork. They don't want to mention the mechanical problems so people don't freak out. At least I, I, I think no matter what they say that there's something wrong with the plane and it's going to crash within hours of being in the air. Yeah. For for many of you who do not know Nick, he's a little bit uh, skittish. Uh, it's the worst. Flying with, is the with worst. With anything up in the air. Get me on the ground. So uh, we, we had a pretty unique opportunity to come up where it would require several hour airplane <laughs> flight. And before the guy got done telling us about the uh, opportunity, he was like, no, thanks. Right. And I was like, can I just go? Can I just go? I want to go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, recently, we just went to Ryder University to present at a gifted and talented symposium. It was an awesome day. Uh, I really enjoyed presenting there. But I also enjoyed kind of taking in some of the sessions because as much as I thought I knew gifted and talented students... I learned a lot in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it, I thought it was fascinating. We don't, as you know, most teachers kind of focus on the general population. Even the, uh, the students with learning disabilities get a lot of attention too because the IEPs, you're required to, to meet those. And the, But the gifted and talented kids, you, uh, you just sort of assume that they're good. They're ready to go. They're the smart ones. They're the motivated ones, which can be true, but isn't always true. And actually, those students need just as much, probably even more attention than the other students do, at least if if we want them to meet their full potential. And if that's, you know, and if that's the goal of education, which I think it definitely is, we should probably start thinking about that a little more. So it just kind of made us reflect on some of the things we've talked about, in particular, uh, student-centered learning and how that can not only meet the needs of, like we said, or like I said, students with learning disabilities, but the, the middle of the pack, your average student as well, but also tie in things for those gifted learners. So what does student-centered really mean to us? When I think of student-centered, I'm thinking student-led, I'm thinking problem, uh, world-based problems, I'm thinking active learning where they're taking control of their learning and they're kind of choosing what they want to learn. That's all student-centered. It's based on the student's needs. It's uh, student-picked. It's uh, student-ran and the teacher's the guide on the side that is just forcing, not forcing, but providing the necessary resources for students to succeed. Sure. So tie in the the tech stuff as well. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite things, which we've talked about many times in, in some episodes recent and way back, but say you're 
creating a hyperdoc that your students are going to do this year. I think a hyperdoc is a great example of a student-centered strategy that ties in tech because the teacher's definitely not up there doing the direct instruction. The students are all kind of working at their own pace. Well, maybe when you're if you're creating that hyperdoc this coming year, besides considering the different options you're going to give your students for what to complete or how they're going to show mastery, and besides sort of tiering it so there's different supports built in, maybe think about some stuff you could throw in there for those gifted and talented learners to keep them challenged, to actually get them thinking. Not that all the students have to work at that level, but make sure you've got some variety to meet those those students' needs as well. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, really, this is taking us back to standards-based grading or uh, competency-based learning, where instead of comparing every student to every other student in the classroom, we're just comparing them to the best form of him or herself. Right. So they have a starting point, they have an ending point. Did they make progress on that particular skill? And uh, one of the skills that students are really developing is looks. And this was brought to us by Nathan Levy, who is the author of a set of books. And I found these books very interesting. He was an amazing speaker. Stories with Holes was one of them. Yeah, that that's uh, one series of books where they give you a scenario and basically each student gets to present a scenario that's in this book and it leaves the rest of the class with a question and that person can only answer yes or no questions until the rest of the class figures out the answer and i think this is a great way to get kind of break the ice of the class maybe do one of these every day or maybe one of these you know every friday or special day but it really makes students think outside of the box and it challenges all students but i think it challenges our gifted and talented even more because it's not it's not a regular type of learning it makes you go outside of your comfort zone and come up with questions that are going to lead you to the answer and this is the high level thinking that we need uh, students to get to for example when i think of gifted and talented i think of you know finding the cure for cancer or creating something that is going to make everyone's life a lot easier and if we do not as teachers challenge these students' brains enough earlier to challenge them and to get them out of their comfort zone, maybe that's just a a waste of a brain later on. Yeah, well, I think it may have been Nathan Levy that pointed this out. One of the speakers definitely did. A lot of times what happens with the gifted and talented learners is because they're never challenged in school and everything is so easy for them, that's just what they get used to and that's what they expect their whole lives to be. And then later in life, maybe college or maybe post-college in their career, when they do encounter struggle, uh, they don't have the skills built up to deal with that. So uh, you hit on two words, I think, that teachers can really think about and capitalize on keeping these gifted learners in mind. One of them is thinking outside the box and the other one's creativity. That's where really where you can sort of meet the needs of those students because they have the ability to think outside the box and we should train them to do that. Whether it's, if you know, if it's buying a copy of Mr. Levy's book, Stories with Holes, and going through one of those stories each day to really get those students, and all the students can benefit from this too, by the way, but really give those gifted students a place to uh, challenge their thinking and, and think in different ways and, and creativity too, especially if you're a math and science person, maybe even in some of the social sciences, you don't always go there. You don't always think it has a place. But I think a lot of the research is showing more and more that creativity is is a huge, really important skill that needs to be uh, developed, especially in our gifted learners. They respond a lot to it. And it's a big part of being successful in life is that ability to create something new uh, that did not exist before. So another one of the speakers was Don 
Ambrose, Dr. Don Ambrose, and and he's like the master thinker and very, very well-known person um, that studies the gifted and talented. And one of the things that he made was this little pinwheel type thing. So imagine three circles on top of each other, but each one is a little bit shorter in uh, circumference. And they spin independently, right? Like Yeah, they yeah. spin independently and they all have sections with a topic in there. This was cool. So... This is a way to get them thinking, you know, it it doesn't have to be a real scenario, but get them thinking differently. So if you take a science course and one of the most boring topics in my opinion, so I know that there's people out there that love this topic, but (laughs) it's my personally, it's my uh, go to sleeper topic. And I, I struggled with it. So I had to find creative ways to make it interesting, not only to me, but to the students. But photosynthesis, let's throw that out there. So the first wheel would have like concepts within photosynthesis. Maybe it just says a process within photosynthesis. So like words related to uh, yeah. actual science. Stuff, for this, yeah. for this, we'll just say photosynthesis sure. is the first topic that the uh, little wheel stops on. Yeah. The second one is, let's say... Uh, it's like random words. Right? Yeah, like, random words yeah. like environment. Right. Okay, or climate. Or, or even like weird stuff, right? Some of them had, I mean, it could land on cat or hot dog. Like, you don't, there was all just regular words on some of these things too, I think. Yeah. So say we have three, the three words that we have are photosynthesis, cat, yeah. and environmental condition. Right. All right. So how can photosynthesis, cat, and environmental condition come together to solve a world problem or create an invention. And basically gave them 90 seconds to come up with their, I don't know, whatever product or whatever, how they were going to solve the problem. And they had 90 seconds. So basically I've been talking for probably about 35 seconds on this. Yeah you would have to give me your answer in another 60 seconds. Right. So maybe in order to, they they get to choose their environmental problems. So maybe it's oxygen with the increase of, and they can make their topic too to fit this and to fit their product. But maybe because we're building up everything that the lack of trees is causing a lack of oxygen problem. So where do cats fit into this? Now you could take the animal, a cat, and put it in there, but, or maybe uh, you could somehow I'll find a simile or something like that or a metaphor that allows your product to be named after a type of cat. Right. Um, well, that's the point of it is just be creative. As long as those three concepts that the three wheels landed on are incor- incorporated in your idea that you generate in 90 seconds, that's all you have to do. And it's just meant to challenge you in terms of time and just, and really, like we said before, think outside the box, be creative. What does a cat have to do with that? Maybe nothing. Maybe you tie it into the name. Maybe that's your project's logo. Or, I'm just, or, I'm just going to go with it here. What do you got? All right. So if we have a lack of oxygen, we need more green plants in the city. What's a good trait that a cat has mm-hmm. they can climb yes okay all right so how can we build in plant life to our structure in the city whether it's a rooftop garden um, whether it's a plant that kind of that can build its way up the building structure like an ivy yeah. or a vine or something mm-hmm. and how does photosynthesis tie in there well more plants equals more oxygen you're converting carbon dioxide to oxygen boom done how does cat fit in 
it climbs all right we're gonna call it the climbing cat or even better maybe we start capturing all the stray cats in cities and outfit them with little backpacks that have like seeds in them so as they jump around and walk around they're like planting the things that then climb up the trees and turn the buildings into green buildings that grow stuff and generate oxygen sounds crazy but sounds like a catastrophe <laughs> to me sounds, it's a bad idea but that's the kind of stuff that you're challenged to think about and even just realizing well that's a bad idea asking the question of why it's a bad idea might lead to other things so that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here so let's kind of do a little recap here i'd like to start off with just recapping a little bit with uh, books with holes and nathan levy uh, check those out uh, they give you situations where students get to be the leader kind of developing or discussing a problem and uh, it's like a little riddle almost and students have to ask yes or no questions and that the leader the student leader gets to answer obviously you would probably model this the first time but after that maybe let them take turns i think that's just a great way to get students thinking in a different way yep or think about coming up with uh, some maybe project-based learning where you challenge your students to solve real world problems by throwing in some weird words kind of like the example with the uh, cat and photosynthesis we talked about really force them to get into some uncomfortable uh, fast-paced scenarios where they have to come up with sometimes weird ideas that just haven't existed before. So those are a couple of different out-of-the-box ways of thinking about student-centered learning that you might be able to try. If anything, you might just use this once or twice just as an icebreaker in the room so your students get to know each other at the beginning of the school year. Right, and at the very least, you'll be challenging the thinking of all the learners in your class and hopefully the gifted and talented students get to benefit a little bit as well. Also, think about how you're going to allow your students to collaborate with one another and maybe how you uh, differentiate between the different levels of learners, whether they're working together uh, or they're blended in. Maybe one student from each level is in the group and how they're going to help each other out. Pay attention to how your students work well or not so well with uh, level learners that are on the same pace as they are or the same page that they are. These are just a couple of things that you can look out for. For the most time, students are excited to try something a little different and something new and they might not first be open to the idea because they're going to be nervous because they've never done anything like this before, but if you encourage them to make it wacky, uh, go off the wall with their ideas the first time, it makes it a safe space and it kind of makes student-centered learning a good time for everybody while promoting learning throughout all levels of students. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech. As we mentioned earlier, we just uh, presented at the Gifted and Talented Symposium at Ryder University. Our topic that we presented on was a form of game-based learning, which is digital escape the rooms. So uh, Nick and I, we have done many physical escape the rooms. We brought our, our wives, some of our friends along, and we tried to conquer the room. And the way that you conquer a room, you're put in a scenario and you have 60 minutes to solve little puzzles and things like that, little riddles to get out of the room to get the key to physically get out of the room it's a lot of fun if nobody if you've never gone to an escape room you got to check it out and escape rooms are popping up all over the place it started in the uh, cities 
Uh, New York City was the first one that I did. Philadelphia was the second one. And now it's starting to come in more of the suburban areas as well. You'll find them in malls. Uh, they're popping up there. You'll find them in small little nooks and crannies and building spaces that uh, aren't being used. They'll rent them out to uh, these escape the room places. Like uh, there was one at a naval base. Oh, cool. Yeah, and, and that one was the hardest one I've ever done. But anyway, getting back to the, the topic, Nick and I took a, a physical escape the room and we digitized it to make it a digital escape the room. We used Google, the Google platform. And we, were, we basically were going over everything that you need to make one of these experiences for your students. Students. And we gave out a professional development that we created uh, in order to kind of get them interested in making their own. Yeah. So as, as we were kind of going over explaining how to create one of these digital escape rooms, because obviously you, know, you can't just take a whole class of students anytime you want to go do one of these, even if you did, there'd be no educational purpose. So here with our digital version, you can create your own that doesn't cost any money, especially if you use the Google platform. And, and it's content-based. It's content-based. So the kids are learning as they do it. And that's kind of where the question came in. It was about halfway through. Somebody asked me if there's a difference or what the difference is between gamification in a classroom and game-based learning. And this is something that we brought up a couple times over the first uh, dozen or so episodes. Yeah, we've used both the words. I've used them interchangeably. But in interestingly enough, there is a difference between these two things. There, yeah, I mean, it's pretty big, but yet subtle difference. I mean, when you look at the overall scheme of things, gamification and game-based learning are very different, but they sound a lot alike. Right. All right, so gamification is just adding game-inspired elements to a lesson or to a unit or chapter or your course even. Uh, so game-inspired elements are things like points or stars or levels, things like that. When I think of um, gamification, I think of whose line is it anyway? You remember that uh, TV yeah. show with Drew Carey as the host? Yeah, sure, the points, uh, What's the? what did he say? Points, points are earned, but they really don't matter. That's it, yeah. Yeah, so 10,000 points, Gryffindorf. Yeah. What do those points get? you really just points yeah but there it's a reward system right so people want them even though they don't really mean anything yeah they they it, it's a competition as much as people don't think it's a competition it's a competition sure, yeah and i'm not saying it's a safe competition they could be competing against themselves or they can be competing against the learning outcomes well they do whatever you know if, if a student isn't comfortable competing against others they just try to improve from where they were before by earning points or stickers or bad or whatever you do in your class or maybe a few kids kind of just group up and they compete against each other which motivates them which is great the thing that you need to think of when you think of gamification is no matter what system that you choose what gamification elements whether it's levels points whatever you need to look at those points and realize that that isn't the learning the learning is coming through an activity and the reward is the points based on how well you did that activity or if you did that activity some of it's just cut and dry you did it you get this many points right versus some are based on the quality that you've done this assignment or this learning objective you get points right it kind of reminds me of a few episodes back we talked about class craft that's really what class craft is all about right where kids have a little avatar and as the year goes on they earn different badges and they get to level up based on things they do it really we're just describing a way to motivate students so basically you had two different uh, gamification elements there. You had badges, yeah, which allows them to decorate, you know, whatever 
their character, I their guess. character yeah. is in class craft or I know that uh, some schools are now developing badges for teachers as they do professional development. Yeah. So maybe they display badges on their web page. Think of educators getting Google certified, level one and level two, yeah. innovator, trainer. All those are badges that they could put on their Twitter feed or their personal page or whatever. These are all gamification elements. Now, on the flip side, we have game-based learning. And that's when the whole game all right, is the learning. You're learning through the game. So we use games to meet learning outcomes. So for example, if we do a digital escape the room, that is game-based learning because students are placed in pairs or groups of three during this uh, digital escape the room. They're working through the content. They're learning as they're playing the game. And the game really is for them to escape the room, for them to get out of that digital space. Right. Everything else is the same. There's there's an introductory, there's locks, there's puzzles, and there's a time limit to get out. Yep. Okay, so uh, the learning is through the game. Learning comes from the game. And this could be accomplished digitally, but it also doesn't need to be digitally. Is the game of life or Yahtzee or Connect Four, are those considered games? Yeah, well, it's, I, a few years back, um, this is not a tech thing, not a digital thing, but I have my AP Chem Kids. They made chemistry-themed board games. I know I'll... Most teachers have done this project by now, but they made their own board games and then we played them for like a week and they were all questions were chemistry themed and that would, I guess, would classify it as game-based learning, right? Because they're actually playing a game and learning while they play it. So basically, what are we getting out of game-based learning? Basically, it uh, promotes critical thinking and problem solving. Is this a normal way or a typical way that students learn? No, all right? You had your students create games. That's involving creativity. Creativity, yep. Sometimes they have to develop simulations which allow them to be creative. And this is all part of the game-based learning platform. So gamification, using game-like elements such as badges, points, level ups, uh, all those types of things. And then your game-based learning is learning through the game, all right? So so gamification, these are points, levels, things that you get after the learning activity happens, but it's not directly um, involved with learning. It's what happens after learning. Right. And game-based learning is learning takes place through the whole thing, and there's a goal or an objective that you must accomplish in order to succeed. So think about trying to incorporate one or both of these strategies at a couple points this coming school year, and hopefully they help your kids get a little bit more engaged and staying creative. I know a lot of districts out there have social media policies for teachers, and I, I think that it's it's good to have some type of structure as to proper etiquette versus improper etiquette. And I really think as adults, we should be able to use our best judgment to demonstrate this. And I do believe that there's a place for teachers to have their own private account that no one can get into except people that they want to socialize with. But we don't want to, we're not talking in this segment about private accounts. We're really just asking what's the place of social media in a classroom. Right. And I think, I think there is a place and I think that teachers should 
should be able to use social media in the classroom because we want our students to behave on social media in a way that's responsible and considerate to others. And to not allow a teacher to be able to model that behavior, I think is a big uh, disservice to learning for our students. And um, if you like social media or if you don't, without debating that topic as a whole, whether it's good or bad for society, it is a part of our world. And it's definitely not going away anytime soon. Uh, most of you probably are aware by now that if, if you own a business or if you're trying to get the word out about something you're doing, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook to some extent now too, that's a big way of how people do it. So we're kind of just seeing an explosion of that in education. I think now where teachers and schools, districts even, are capitalizing on that as well to communicate things that are happening and what's going on in the classroom. And, and teachers are doing the same thing for their classrooms. So basically in in this segment, we just want to talk about ways that you can use social media for and in your classroom. So I think we should start with the teachers and some of the best ways to get a hold of your other colleagues would be through social media. And if you're going to try something new that might be out there for a while, it's not completely new, it's new to you or new to your school district, but other districts have used it, other teachers have used it. One of the best ways to kind of hurdle over some of the obstacles or barriers is to talk to other people who have used that practice, that best practice, and they can give you some tips and some pointers. So why not throw it out on social media and get some feedback? Yeah. And you're not limited to just the, I don't know, maybe 10 to 12 people that you teach with and are in direct contact with. You're in touch with thousands of educators who might have tried that and might have some good tips for you. So it can be really helpful for that. All right. The second way that I would use it on social media is just to keep up with all the different types of practices that teachers are using. So a new uh, ed tech uh, program, came out and someone posts about it well guess what now you have information that you probably wouldn't have received otherwise right and maybe that really fits a niche or a niche I've heard both yeah and uh, so this this piece of ed tech that is new fits the little niche that you're missing in your teaching repertoire well now you have a piece of information so I, I, th I think social media is warranted on the teacher professional development level absolutely and then even in the classroom if we could make maybe move on to that. I think if you're a teacher and you have a, an account specifically designed for your classroom and your students and your parents, uh, one of the simplest uses is just posting, let's say, homework or when big projects are due. You put out little reminders and you know if you know if your students are checking that account as they flip through following whatever, whatever else they're interested in, they may get reminded of something they have to do for you. Right. And so this kind of so would solve in districts that don't have a parent portal that aren't able to see homework that their students have every night, this would be a way for teachers to communicate with the parents and make sure that everyone's on the same wavelength without having to answer 30 to 50 emails, extra emails a year. Right. Maybe even more, who knows. Or making use of hashtags, both in Instagram, Twitter, I think Facebook might even use them now, but I have a, a running hashtag on Instagram for uh, around the holidays, we do a chemistry party where the students decorate and make like a little model of a Christmas tree, but instead of bulbs, they fit little gl glassware with colored solutions and it's like supposed to be like a fun little thing but I have a hashtag Johnson's chemistry 20 whatever the year is so all I have to do is look that up and all the posts for the past and I've been doing it for six seven years now they're all strung together I can show them as examples I tell the kids about it they check it to kind of get inspired for for their chemistry and it kind of just allows for this really easy sharing of ideas really which I think is kind of the whole point I like what you did with chemistry there clever I didn't make it up that's it 
any chemistry teachers out there are going to know that's like a thing. A lot of us do it. I cannot take credit for that, but it is cool. Uh, another way that I use social media is I like to have these little contests. When I taught bioethics, I would have students make no more than a minute PSA, public service announcement, on an environmental issue that is near and dear to their heart. Like, what's going on? It's supposed to be very persuasive. Right. Factual, but persuasive. And uh, what they would do is they would post it. We would make a social media page where we would post all these projects. And really, it was just a post or a link to a Google site. Yeah. And then people would click on that link and they would go watch these different PSAs and then they would vote on which one they thought was most uh, influencing and mm-hmm. and you know based on that they got their parents involved they got community members yeah. involved they got other parts of their family involved I know one front of a church um, gathering and said hey I'm doing this project on this I'm very passionate about it here's a little bit about this but if you want to check out more of these go to this website and I had it open for two and a half weeks and we had over 7,000 hits on that. That's awesome. Over 7,000 votes. So I thought that was cool. We've done photo contests kind of the same way. Students would take photos and we would take a digital imprint of that, put it online, and people within the school would vote on their favorite photo and we would have winners every year. And how good does that look for you and your school district? Just to kind of put the word out there about some of the really fun and exciting things teachers are, are doing helps helps the community understand the types of things that are happening, happening in education now. So it's sort of, I hate to say, sort of like a publicity just for some of the really cool things that go on. I know you talked about Twitter with your chemistry uh, yeah. project, but I have heard, and I've never done this, but I've heard that classrooms would have discussions all on Twitter throughout the whole classroom. And one, the one lady that was describing uh, what she did is she had this open-ended question and basically students would take turns answering it with the appropriate hashtag and then they could go back and comment on each other's just by using a a common hashtag and she said that there wasn't you could drop a pin in that class and you could hear it because they were so engaged in that lesson and i think that's just a cool way of teaching to how your students are comfortable and how they learn well we've talked about a ton of different uh, apps and extensions and websites that allow for digital discussions to take place that may be the easiest one right just use twitter or whatever anything something they already have and use the hashtag and it strings the discussion out right there for them. Yeah, so I think social media, since it's uh, such a big part of our students' lives and they're very familiar with it, we can meet them on a common level and get them to take their learning to the next level. And this really, this would work across all age levels that has the opportunity to use social media. I know there's uh, policies out there saying that you must be over 13 years of age unless you have parent permission. So maybe this is a middle school, high school based project or way of uh, looking at social media, but you could use these for discussions. You could use these for homework. So maybe your homework, you send out on a Twitter message or a Facebook group or whatever, a video that you want them to watch. And then you want them to post uh, what are their top three takeaways. And that way everyone could see each other's and it's there for discussion the next day. Now this might present some problems. Definitely. Okay. So it's very important that teachers have some type of digital literacy or rules and regulations of how they're supposed to act in these uh, settings. I think that's very important.
important when you start thinking about developing your safe space or your, you know, your learning environment within your classroom that you tell them that it extends beyond the walls. Yeah. Well, it's a good place to not only teach the content, but also teach them how to just use social media properly, not to go home and and spend six hours on it because that does horrible things to your brain and to use it in a responsible way for good productive things, not not negative things. And the classroom is a good model for that. Yeah. At uh, one of the professional developments that I went to, and we can end with this, but a lot of people are so fearful of students using social media in the wrong way. So what if that does happen, right? And Alice Keeler said this, and it, I, I thought it was brilliant. She said, I want them to make the social media mistake in yeah. my classroom. Good. Because if they make it here, they won't make it when they're out and they have a job and it won't cost them their job later on. Exactly. This is when they learn that type of thing. And uh, I thought that was pretty brilliant. So in so many, this is a whole other topic, but I have to bring it up. So many, so much of education is, or teachers have a tendency to try and stop your students from failing. Now's when you want them to fail. And get caught because now in school is when you can help them and teach them not to make that mistake later when they're adults and it causes a real problem yeah there's more on the line then right so i don't know go out there maybe uh talk with your administration see if your policies on social media meet the needs of your students meet the needs of your staff because it would be a shame to miss out on a, a quality learning opportunity It's time for the Tick Battle Royale! That's right, it's time for the Tech Battle Royale. This is where Nick and I go mano mano. We put up our gloves, we show us our dukes, we go with the left jab, right jab, uppercut, and we hope that no one lands a punch. It's going to be an easy one for me because Geis is still jet-lagged from his trip, so I plan on walking in and walking right out with the victory this time. I tell you what. He's coming with a lot of talk, but just note that there's a little smoke before the fire starts. Well, see, the confidence is meant to intimidate, so the whole jo- my whole job just becomes easier. See, I'm going to throw something at you, and you're going to be so confused by what I say that you're going to be thinking about that the whole time. Just remember, in nice neighborhoods, there's a lot of speed bumps sometimes. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, so here we go. And it's a little different this week because we have two categories. Right, we have a different setup, so let's explain that. So we have teacher picked versus student picked. And these are extensions. And the reason why we did this is because we had a chance to poll teachers and poll students on their favorite extensions. And lo and behold, this caused us to go back to all our episodes and make a list of everything that we did. And the reason why we did that is because a lot of the stuff that we talked about were mentioned. And I will tell you this, we did a coin flip. If uh, teacher extensions comes up, Nick gets to go first because he won the flip. Tails never fails. Yep. Okay. And if student leg comes up, I get to go first. And I'm really hoping Nick's doesn't come up with the teacher uh, extensions because we found out that there's one that we both thought we've done before yeah that was never done and i think that's going to take it home no matter what any of the other ones that are selected the student ones we found are very interesting because we haven't done about half of them right and they're all really super cool so we'll get to those in later episodes but i think it's time to quit procrastinating quit stalling and get nick prepared for the uh the whooping that he's gonna take yeah me prepared so let's go ahead and let's uh spin this wheel let's do it 
Well, it's not favorable for me, but it'd be favorable for you guys because uh, this extension that he's about ready to go over is pretty amazing. So we got teacher favorites. We, I, we do got teacher favorites. Might as well just give me the win. Do we even have to do this? I, you know what? Just for the, the greater good <laughs> of passing knowledge to people that may or may not have it, even if they do have it, they may not know about the uh, updates that just came about. What, what guys is talking about is my, my pick in this episode's Tech Battle Royale. It's called Equagio. I know we've talked about it. We both actually have mentioned this before. Uh, just not, uh, we've never argued over whether it's better than something else. Equagio is a Google extension that incorporates with Google Docs. It allows for the easy conversion or easy typing of math problems, fractions, complex equations, square roots, exponents, uh, symbols, Greek letters, anything you could ever write out by hand, super easy. Equasio makes that extremely easy when you're typing into a Google Doc as well. Really, as a teacher of science, chemistry, there's a lot of math we have to do. I always kind of thought that the whole Google Doc explosion wasn't for me because there's so much handwriting that has to happen. But with Equasio, it really just makes all of it seamless. So. so I know I normally do not make your points for you, but I feel with this extension I, I have to chime in here go for it help that, me help me win yeah it's not like you need it but anyway I want to say how useful this tool is across all curriculums all right you have a math teacher that one's pretty easy as far as how it applies to equations and numbers you know science is also very easy as to how it applies but think of art canvas size sure measuring canvas size uh, you have a formula that they're plugging in or uh, you go down to PLT project lead the way which is engineering it fits in perfectly there all right think of ways that you could use this in english all right they're doing a reenactment or not a reenactment but a, a player of uh, shakespeare and they need to know how big the stage has to be so you might have some type of equation per square foot that they have to translate over all right maybe there's a word problem that they have to solve in an english class it sure. does happen sure interdisciplinary stuff is huge all that happens all the time okay so being able to have something like this is pretty pretty amazing. And I know that you're going to get into how it helps students with IEPs as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, before that even, just a real quick, I would just want to describe some of the things that Equagio does. First of all, it's just a little, it's a little button that goes right in the Chrome browser. You just click it when you have a Google Doc open and it pops up a bunch of different options for how to use it within the Google Doc. The, the simplest one, and I believe how they uh, Equagio started was just a typical equation editor where there's a bunch of, ways to just type using your keyboard. So if you need a fraction, you do I don't know, seven and then hit the backslash key three and it automatically converts that to seven over three, seven thirds. And there's all sorts of little things that you kind of have to learn. Like if you need a square root, you can type SQU and then it sets up a square root and it's just supposed to be a quick way to type in a square root symbol that you would have to normally write out. Um, kids usually don't like that. They don't like to type things in. They don't know all the keys. They don't want to take the time to learn them. So some of the more beneficial tools are um, a handwriting recognition tool where uh, you can write on the screen. If it's a touch screen, you can just use your finger right on the screen. And instead of actually knowing, uh, having to know the special keys to type a square root, you just draw it. And as you draw it with your finger, it converts it to text that you can just embed in the Google Doc. Amazing. It's really cool. It um, also does voice. 
Right. There's a speech input. So say a kid it does, isn't very good at writing with their hand or has a, a, a disability where they can't do that. You can just talk and it, it listens to and it transcribes the equation that you're describing and embeds it in the Google Doc. Uh, the two newest tools that I didn't even really know about um, until today, you can also import math equations from a mobile device. So if you draw out the equation on your cell phone, it imports that directly into, uh, into the Google Doc as well. And what they're calling a screenshot reader, which is kind of hard to describe. I don't know if anybody's ever used the snipping tool. It's kind of like that where you get to drag, click and drag around a section of the screen. And as you drag around, if what you drag a box around is an equation, Equasia will recognize that equation and convert it into text as well. It just gives you so many options to easily input math that would other, otherwise be really hard. So that's it. It's, it's a great tool. It's amazing. If you're if you're math, science, engineering, any of the other stuff we mentioned, you have to be not only using it yourself, but uh, getting your students used to using this too. So what do you got? Try to beat that. Well, I, I, I already mentioned that it's going to be tough to beat, but I'm going to throw out a tool that I think in this day and age where security of passwords is a problem, it's an issue, I'm going to throw out something that, that will help you. And, you know, these password rules need to be 8 to 12 characters with a capital letter and a number and a char special character and then you go to a different site needs to be six to eight characters with a capital letter no special character uh all that stuff is absolutely bizarre i have so many variations of the same ish password oh yeah it's unbelievable i think we're all doing that i mean we used to just change the year and now they won't even allow you like yeah. if if my password was my name and then the year after it, they won't let you uh use that anymore it's Wait. too similar to the, your previous password yeah all right there's a there's a an extension called LastPass, and it keeps your passwords in one place and logs you into accounts automatically so basically what you need is one password for LastPass. So you have a, a password when you go into LastPass and what that will do is create a unique password every time you sign in. So it will have something weird there. Uh, for example, if, you're, if your password to one site is G capital L capital R six five nine or you know whatever yeah. um, you don't need to remember that. You just need to remember your password to get into LastPass. And I think it's it's beneficial because no more having to go through changing your password by getting a recovery email to uh, your email address, clicking on it, answering security questions, putting in a new password. Just put it in LastPass and forget about it. I wish we had a crickets button so I could just let some crickets play out at the end of that. I don't think we do. And uh, Everybody gets the point. I'm being extra harsh. That actually is, I mean, that's super helpful, but do I have to say it? Equasio versus LastPass? Equasio versus LastPass. We'll give it to Equasio. All right. Thank you very much. Check out both of these things, though. Equasio, super awesome for teachers and students. LastPass, kind of the same thing. Kids get just as frustrated trying to log into all the different uh, tech things that they're required to use for school and in their home life. So both of these are super cool. But I think Equasio is definitely the winner in this case. So stay tuned for my victory speech. 
What an exciting time to be an educator. With tools like Equasio allowing students to create professional electronic equations in seconds and LastPass allowing all of us to stay organized, the possibilities can sometimes seem endless. While math once seemed doomed to reside on many thousands of printed worksheets, technology once again gives us a way to eliminate and replace, saving both trees and time. Galileo once said that the book of nature is written in the language of mathematics. Math lies at the root of everything. Just as chemistry is the backbone of all biology and physics is the backbone of all chemistry, math is the backbone of everything. I can't help but wonder what Galileo would say if he could see the tools we have at our disposal today, like Equasio and others. I'm sure he'd be impressed and would agree that the possibilities are endless. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at WeGotTech or follow along on our website, gottech.com. Until next time.